You know, we first discovered that he had a problem in late 2000. He was 16 at the time. It started with marijuana and then eventually alcohol. There were some pills. We didn't know what they were, pharmaceuticals of some sort. We got our son into uh, treatment, and uh, while he was getting help, uh, we were getting some education about the disease of addiction, that it was chronic, that there was also could be a genetic component, and uh, that it could be deadly. But uh, we, of course, didn't think anything about that. We just concentrated on supporting our son in every way that we could. We began 2001 with a lot of hope. About five months into um, treatment, he uh, had been doing well, and we had been pleased with his progress. And so uh, he came to us on uh, one day and asked if he could go uh, swimming at a friend's house. We knew the kids he was going to be swimming with, and he'd been doing well. So we decided to kind of lessen the reins a little bit and said, sure. They swam for a while, and then the girls decided to go in and uh, have lunch. David then and his friend went to a, a nearby drugstore, bought a can of computer duster. David had learned somehow that he could inhale the propellant, which would give him a very brief hive anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds, and it wouldn't show up on the drug screens. I don't think he knew is that in some cases, computer duster can cause something called sudden sniffing death syndrome, a disruption of the electrical activity of the heart and can also bring on a heart attack. They were passing the can back and forth, taking turns, going underneath the water. And then at one point, David didn't come back up. He'd gone into sudden sniffing death syndrome while he was underneath the water. His body's first reaction naturally was to try and take a breath. He opened his mouth and took in uh, all, all water. The main cause of death was drowning. The secondary cause of death was sudden sniffing death syndrome. While the uh, EMTs were there, the parents had called my wife. So Marisa drove to the hospital, and uh, by that time, he was already gone. I was actually a couple of thousand miles away in Phoenix, Arizona. I got the uh, call from her saying that he was, that he, that he died. Um, I... Uh, um, a rush to the airport. This is before 9-11. I basically told the ticket counter what had happened. And they they were great. They, uh, they didn't ask for any documentation or anything. I mean, they could tell that I was uh, distressed and uh, immediately put me on uh, the first uh, plane directly back to Indianapolis. And so, but that, that was, that, um, flight was the worst um, just so much going on in my head
the addiction gene ran on my side of the family. I had two uncles who had uh, uh, were alcoholic on my father's side, uh, and I was someone who uh, overindulged on a regular basis. I had already pledged to my wife that I would uh, know how to help him and get through this, and I failed at that. Between the grief and the guilt, you know, I began to uh, spiral down myself drinking more alcohol, and then I began also abusing the antidepressants that I was being prescribed for the grief and the guilt and the depression, to the point where I began shopping doctors for the medications. I had a tragic story. It was pretty easy for me to go to another physician and share the same story and immediately get a script for uh, Xanax. One day, my wife and my son, my other son, my older son, came home and found me in a blackout. And I can still remember coming out of that blackout, seeing my wife screaming at me and saying, what the hell is wrong with you? I said, I'm in trouble. I've been abusing alcohol and drugs, and I think I need to get help. My situation was so serious that I ended up having to come inpatient at that point in time. Part of the uh, recovery regimen, too, was going to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I ended up doing 180 meetings in 180 days. And I've been in recovery now for 15 years, and I still do five or six meetings a week. That's the medicine that I continue to take for my disease of addiction. And the dollar that I put in the basket at each of those meetings is a lot cheaper than the prescription drugs I take. I'm an academic by training. Uh, spent 28 years as an administrator and a dean at the largest university here in Indianapolis. But a couple of years after I got into recovery, I started kind of a new chapter. I went to the uh, CEO of the treatment center and told her that uh, I'd be interested in getting some professional experience in this field of addiction treatment and recovery. And so we started a parent support group. There's no question that the death of a child is the worst loss. What we found was, you know, we didn't have to do counseling in that group. The counseling took place just by people sharing where they were, what they were struggling with, and then hearing others share exactly the same things in the same way and found comfort there for the first time. After David died, friends, family, and even people that we hadn't been acquainted with came to us and often started off by saying, well, what went wrong? You know, and sometimes it would be a little more pointed, you know, where there's some things that you didn't do. Our children aren't supposed to die before us. It's like a violation of some sort of rule. What went wrong? What could we have done differently? All that kind of mental machination is part of what led to my serious depression. And frankly, trying to find relief from the shame and the guilt, probably more the guilt. Again, because 
the addiction gene ran on my side of the family. He caught this from me. We learn in uh, recovery that acceptance is the release of all hope for a better past. That's become our mantra. And that then has freed us up emotionally and psychologically and brought us to the point where we can help others at least try to work down that path. I describe our mutual recoveries as kind of what a strand of DNA looks like. DNA has two trunks. I'm one of the trunks and she's the other trunk. They're separate and distinct, but there are branches periodically that connect those two trunks. And that's what recovery has done for us. It's connected us in some marvelous ways. But at the same time, if you looked under a microscope, DNA kind of spirals around. That's what life continues to do to us, is that it continues to spiral us around and we continue to have challenges and things happen to us. But there is still that tightness and structure of us together. The most important thing recovery has done for the two of us is that it has allowed us to to move on from the worst loss and celebrate our son's life in a beautiful way. My name's Kim Manlove, and this is my story. <laughs>